This is The Guardian. Hi, this is Guardian Australia Reads. I'm Jane Lee. Every week, we ask Guardian Australia's editors what their favourite articles are, and then we read them aloud for you. Originally built in the 1920s to house a pharmaceutical company, Melbourne's Nicholas Building has since become a haven for artists and artisans. However, its days as a creative hub may be numbered. Steph Harmon is Guardian Australia's culture editor. Steph, can you tell me why you chose this story? I chose this article because I... I only had a passing knowledge of the Nicholas Building before it. Um, I'm from Sydney. I've visited Melbourne quite a bit. I've definitely been inside this kind of imposing old building in the middle of the CBD. But I was visiting it for the shops. Uh, I had no idea about its history. I didn't know that for almost a century it's been home to this collection, this smorgasbord of offices and studios and workspaces and generations of artists and creatives who could afford its low rents and populated it and built this beautiful whole scene around it. I mean, the arts industry is obviously recovering from two of the hardest years it's ever had uh, in Australia and around the world. And I think it's really important right now to celebrate these kinds of hubs and communities that are built around the arts where people can come together and support each other's work and build a whole scene that becomes self-fulfilling. I think now is a great time to celebrate that sort of experience. Let's hear it. This is The Only Place Like It in the World, Why the Nicholas Building is the Creative Heart of Melbourne by Bridget Delaney. For a building that began life as the proposed headquarters of a pharmaceutical company, the Nicholas Building has evolved over the decades into one of the most fascinating buildings in Melbourne. There's the facade itself, imposing and chalky white, sitting at 37 Swanston Street above Cathedral Arcade. But it's the building's rich interior life that makes it such an important Melbourne institution. Over the years, it housed everyone from doctors to button sellers, from designers in the Flinders Lane rag trade to artists and artisans. The rents have traditionally been low enough to support generations of creative types who need time and space to make their art. The Nicholas was also known for being the last building in Australia to have lift attendants. Immortalised in the Courtney Barnett song, Elevator Operator, Joan McQueen and Dimitri Bradis decorated their lifts with photos and art and knew everything and everyone in the building. Change is a constant there too. The mix of tenants have shifted over the years, depending on larger economic trends. The lift operators were retired in 2012, and COVID stay-at-home orders have temporarily quietened the building. But perhaps the biggest change facing the Nicholas is the sale of the building. It was put on the market in June and is priced at around $80 million. While it is listed on the Victorian Heritage Register largely due to its intact 1920s interior architectural features, its creative community is in a much more volatile position. Current tenants and those who have a history with the building are pleading with potential buyers to keep the use of space for artists. 
Guardian Australia spoke to some of them. Sophie Patterson I've always had a passion for heritage buildings. Alfred Nicholas was my great-grandfather. He and his brother founded pharmaceutical company Aspro and Aspro and Aspro Clear became a global success. The Nicholas Building was erected in 1926 to cope with an overflow from their original premises in City Road. Harry Norris, who designed it, was the architect of the time. He did a number of the family buildings all around the city, including Curtin House and the Mallorca Building. The design incorporates lots of small offices that could be used by smaller businesses or sole traders. Coles took the first two floors and above were doctors, surgeries, architects and professional services. The family sold the building in the mid-1960s. Over time, it's really changed to become a creative hub of the city. It's such a unique place. There are very limited spaces for creative places that are affordable. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the only place like it in the world. Beverly Kanegeiser, Austral Salon of Music Austral Salon of Music was located on the second floor of the Nicholas Building from the late 1930s until 1957. It was set up in 1890 by a group of women journalists so that they could talk about things to do with the arts, literature, science. There were clubs like it cropping up all over the world at the time. They had meetings twice a month and a lecture once a month on a set topic. They had music and dramatic items, but they always had a strong philanthropic arm. They did fundraising for the war and they made donations to the new arts centre. Stephen McLaughlin, gallery owner. Tenancy, 1994 to current. I first visited the Nicholas Building in 1956 when my parents walked me through the arcade on the way to viewing the Olympic decorations. In 1967, my first year at RMIT, I often had waffles and passion fruit malteds in the Coles basement where their luncheonette was still in operation. When the Nicholas Building opened in 1926, none of the south-facing rooms had windows. There was a building right next door. In 1939, that building was demolished, creating a permanent light well and enabling windows to be punched into the south elevation. A stunning view was created, looking straight down St Kilda Road towards the shrine. While that view is technically temporary, as a 10-storey building is soon expected behind Young and Jackson's, it is still there as we speak. In February 1994, there were lots of empty rooms and studios available all over Melbourne, but none of them had the stunning view of the Level 8 commercial room at the Nicholas. A week's rent for a shop got you a month in the Nicholas and the room was four times as big. I took it and opened a gallery. It's 2021 and I'm still there.
Christy Petsinis, Architect, Tenancy 2002 to 2019. It's like a vertical village with its two metre wide corridors like the streets. Behind every single door is something completely different and wonderfully diverse. People are proud and happy to be there, and everyone has a story about the building. It's the hub of Melbourne's creative scene. If you look at the building's original register, there was a caretaker that lived on level eight or nine. There was a ballroom. There were doctors and psychologists and milliners. It's always had incredibly diverse occupants. The lift operators were all their own characters. Their lifts were full of postcards, pictures of people's animals. It was a notice board about things for sale or studios up for rent. The lifts were carpeted and the operators had a stool. The lifts were really important for all the small enterprises in the building. Being able to connect guests with businesses. And they were really important to us as residents. They were security. They kept us informed and they delivered the mail. Ben Eltham, writer. Tenancy 2007 to 2010. If the Nicholas Building is a vertical city, then its public transport systems are the lifts. Lift operators Joan and Dimmy were the building's last link to former glory. The lifts were 100% analogue. There was a crankshaft that Joan and Dimmy operated. They would sit in a little corner on a stool and drive it. Dimitri's lift was like a studio or set. His walls were completely covered with madcap costumery, art, painting, photographs. He used to like wearing plus fours. He used to have a pince-nez and a bushy moustache and boiler suits. His look was a bit steampunk. I spent most of my time in the Chantilly Bridal Studio on the ninth floor. It was the classic studio setup. You just got a desk and you paid $410 a month and you'd come in every day and write. I think I covered the first term of the Rudd-Gillard government from Chantilly Bridal. There was a whole scene in the Nicholas at night. You'd do a building crawl, go to a gallery opening on one floor, then studio drinks in other people's rooms and move from floor to floor. People had parties in their studios. The whole scene was very high Melbourne. Late, high Melbourne. Dimitri Dimibratis, lift operator, 2006 to 2013. I was introduced to the Nicholas Building through artist Valley Myers. I met Valley when she first arrived back in Australia after being away for 45-odd years in the Coles supermarket at Richmond Plaza. She had just come off a plane and she was looking for coffee and did I know a good brand? I didn't know who she was. I said, I don't know, I drink Turkish coffee because I'm Greek. She said, oh, love, I love Greek coffee. And then she said, do you want to come and have a coffee with me? So we went and had a coffee. When Valley moved into the building in 1993, 
there were only a few other artists in there. Once Valley got there, she changed the whole thing. She told me the very first day I met her that we would be good friends, and we were, for the next 10, 11 years until she died. I returned to the building a long time after she passed away, and that's when the lift operator, Jones, said to me, Love, you still want a job here? I used to sculpt and draw. While being a lift attendant, I'd be working on my own drawings in the lift, in the corner. I was in my own fantasy land. I would just sit and draw. I would draw in the mornings when it was quiet. Then I'd pack it up when it got busy, and later in the afternoons I would draw again. And eventually I had a studio there in the building. I made good, lasting friendships from the building. Carolyn Fraser, letterpress printmaker and curator. Tenancy, 2006-2011 It's remarkable that the building has been available this long for artists, considering the rise of inner-city conversions to apartments. A lot of cities talk about the creative life of a city being important, but if anything, the pandemic has shown how little artists are really valued. Mountains have been moved to make sure the AFL goes ahead, but the support for artists has been negligible. A key for supporting artists is space and real estate. Historically, people have always been pushed out with real estate and market forces changing the environment. It gets harder and harder. If spaces become less accessible, a certain sort of art stops being made. Andrew Millwood Basin, architect. Tenancy, 2014 to current. There is a diverse range of creative industries in the building. Visual arts and contemporary arts, illustrators and painters, six or seven galleries, fashion, gaming, literature, singing and esports. While it's known for its artistic community, it's also cutting edge for tech-based artists. The influence of the building has reached far beyond the walls of the building itself. All the people in the building have been impacted by COVID. We formed a residence association in 2017 to support and nurture tenants. And when COVID hit, we negotiated a rent-waiving structure. If we are looking to breathe life back into the cities, it's buildings like this that can do that. That was The Only Place Like It in the World, Why the Nicholas Building is the Creative Heart of Melbourne by Bridget Delaney. The reader was Rochelle Fong. To see photos of the Nicholas Building and the artists who work inside it, go to Guardian Australia's website. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Daniel Simo and Camilla Hannan. I'm Jane Lee. See you next time.